What I want to talk to you about this morning is Tisha B'Av. As most of you know, we are in the season of Tisha B'Av, ninth day of the Hebrew month of Av. And if you are of the rabbinic persuasion, it starts tonight. If you are of a Karaite persuasion, it starts Monday night. For those of you who haven't been around for a while, we go by the actual sighting of the moon in Jerusalem as opposed to by a calculated when it should appear. So the rabbis very typically are off from us by about a day or so. Anyway, whichever you choose to regard, that's up to you. The events of the ninth of Av, the first temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar on the ninth of Av in 429 B.C. The second temple was destroyed by the Romans in 69 A.D., same day, the ninth of Av. The Bar Kokhba rebellion was put down at the Battle of Batar, and thousands and thousands of Israelites were slaughtered in 133 on the 9th of Av. Rome plowed the Temple Mount on the 9th of Av in 134. The English expelled the Jews in 1290 on the 9th of Av. The Spanish expelled the Jews in 1492 on the 9th of Av. Germany declared war on Russia in 1914, which set up the events that led to the Holocaust, because World War II was round two of World War I. More recently, you all remember that Ariel Sharon took down Gush Katif and gave it back to the Palestinians. They were very clever. They tried to do it on, I think, the 10th of Av to avoid that, but by the Karaite calendar, it was the 9th of Av. So, here we go again. It's a time of mourning, and certainly it's appropriate to mourn for all of the things that have happened to the Hebrew people on that day, but I want to actually talk from a slightly different perspective. Now, first off, let's figure out what is going on that caused all of this. And the way the rabbis see it is... The sin of the spies, remember when they're in the wilderness and God says, go in, and Moses sends spies up ahead and they come back and the rabbis say that the bad report was delivered on the ninth of Av. I was looking at Rabbi Foreman the other night and he's got an excellent, excellent series on the ninth of Av. I recommend it to you. He says it actually goes back to Joseph. What happened with Joseph is Joseph was spying on his brothers. Remember, he goes and spies on his brothers and brings back a bad report. And then later on, his dad sends him out again to spy on his brothers, and his brothers jump him and send him into Egypt. When his brothers finally show up, he accuses them of being spies. So what you have, according to Foreman, and I very much like this, is it's dissension within the family that has caused this. So what you have with the sin of the spies is you again have dissension within the family because you had ten of the spies that come back and they so panic among the people, but Joshua, Caleb, Moses, and Aaron say, whoa, 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 we can do this. You have dissension within the family. The rabbis say, and I completely agree with them, that the thing that caused the destruction of the temple by the Romans was baseless hatred. 
we as Israelites couldn't get along among ourselves and we were tearing at each other and that's the thing that caused the Romans to come in and take us down. And of course you all know the story of Kamsa and Bar Kamsa, I'm not going to go over that. But the point is it's dissension within the nation that causes this. One of my favorite themes is the whole purpose of scripture is a series of case studies. Human nature doesn't change. So if you go back and read what happens in scripture and you then look at your current situation, you should be able to figure out either A, what's about to happen next, or B, how you can prevent what's about to happen next, which is even better. So what I want to talk about is how does Tisha B'Av, the ninth of Av, apply to us today? I will gently suggest to you that if anybody's watching the news, we've got a surplus of baseless hatred in the United States right now. And let's talk about that and talk about why that is. The question is, as Israel goes astray in Scripture, and they go astray for a long time, why doesn't God intervene sooner? Why doesn't God get them corrected and get them back on track so that these calamities don't happen? And the answer for that is this project, this earth, us, the whole purpose of the exercise from God's perspective is freedom and liberty. And what he wants us to do is he wants us to be free and capable of having a relationship with him that we freely choose as opposed to a master-slave relationship you will worship me or else. So what he wants is freedom and it starts clear in the garden. He puts these two perfect people in a perfect place and he says you got one rule don't eat that tree. Of course, you all know the story. We did eat the tree, and so there were consequences. So what God has shown us at the very first vignette is he's put us in a place where we are free to make whatever choice we want to make. But he also has put us in a place where choices have consequences. So when we make a bad choice, as we did with the tree, the consequence is where we are now. And then things go on for 2,000 years after the tree. And finally we get up to the point where God just can't take it anymore, and he sands the place down with a flood and starts over again and says, all right, now, let's try this again. Now, remember the tree. What Satan says is if you eat of the tree, you will become like God, knowing good and evil. Your eyes will be open, as they were. Your eyes will be open, and you'll be able to create your own reality. God says reality is, if you eat of that tree, you're going to become mortal. The snake says, nah, you're not going to become mortal. That isn't going to happen. In other words, what the snake does is denies reality. He says, what God says is real is not in fact real. Go ahead and eat of it. It won't make any difference. And you'll see that you can create your own reality. Or I can describe reality for you and it's 
whatever we want it to be. So this idea that people want to make their own reality goes all the way back to the garden. However, there's a problem with that. The problem with that is God is the one who creates reality. He's the one that defines reality. And so what God does is gives us this tremendous gift. And that gift is the Torah. And what the Torah is, is this is how my reality operates. And if you live your life and you organize your society in accordance with the way my reality operates, things will go really well for you. If, on the other hand, you try and create your own reality, you try and roll your own, and you try and organize your society based on your reality, what's eventually going to happen is we're going to have a train wreck. And Scripture is the history of a series of train wrecks as people try to define their own reality. And it's easy to miss this because the way the prophets write about it is God says, you have disobeyed me. And because you disobeyed me, I'm going to punish you. And that sort of reads like God is some kind of a martinet. And if you do something against his will, he's going to get really grumpy with you and he's going to punish you. That isn't entirely what happens. I mean, some of it is because, of course, Israel has a covenant relationship with God. And when they go into adultery, that does just sort of naturally make God jealous and and grumpy. But most of it is these are consequences of you organizing your society in a way that doesn't comport with the reality that God created. And what God does is he lets that go as long as he can in order to give us freedom to correct, freedom to recognize our consequences, etc. But at some point he just can't stand the smell anymore and he sands everything down flat and starts over. That's what happens, by the way, on Tisha B'Av. God whistles up the Babylonians or whistles up the Romans or whatever and just sands it down flat because you folks in trying to create your own reality have gotten yourself into such a twist that you can't be untwisted. So what God does at some point is he looks at a society and says you guys are so messed up that you can't be straightened out. So what we're going to do is we're going to sand you off flat and we're going to start over. That's what happens with the flood. That's what happens to Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what happens to Israel under the Babylonians. That's what happens to Israel under the Romans. God finally gets to the point where he says, this isn't going to get fixed. So we're going to do a hard reset. And the problem is we try to define our own reality. By the way, the period of maximum liberty in Israel is under the judges. Under the judges, there's minimal government. All you have is judges, which they don't always work this way, but the way they're supposed to work is judges stay out of your face unless you can't get along. And if two of you can't get along, you go to the judge and he says, all right, you do this, you do that, and, and we'll settle it. But if you can get along, a judge never bothers you, theoretically. That's the way it's supposed to work. And so what God did is when they started to try and define their own reality and go off the rails, which they did about every 20 minutes, he sends 
a new judge. And the judge clears out the Midianites or destroys the giants or whatever it is, gets everybody back on track, and they all go back to worshiping God. So society will go for some period of time paying attention to God's reality. And what happens during that time is everything prospers. Things go well. You build up wealth. You build up strong families. You build up a strong nation. And then what happens is we said, all right, everything's cool. We're all nice and fat and happy. We can go over and play with this now. And what winds up happening then is more and more people go over playing with these various things and trying again to invent their own reality. And they consume the surplus that was built up during the time of living according to reality. Look at the United States. We were established by Europeans, British mostly, and we were a God-fearing country. And we spent a long time being very serious about following God's word. And what we did during that time is we built up a tremendous surplus, richest nation that's ever existed in the world. We had strong families. We had strong communities. We had maximum freedom. And then people said, well, this is kind of boring. Let's go try this. And what they then do is consume that surplus that we build up during times when reality is our byword. And what we're seeing now is the consumption of the surplus that was built up over several hundred years by following God's reality. And what do we see now? Well, I can be any sex I want. Doesn't matter what I was, I think the word is what I was assigned at birth, as if it's some sort of a bureaucratic stamp that was put on a baby's butt as he came out, and you were assigned male or female. But that's not reality. What I really am is something else. In other words, I get to define my own reality. Some blonde, frizzy-headed babe decides all of a sudden she's black. Well, you don't even have a good tan. What are you doing here? So the point is, people are trying to define their own reality. Go back to the Bible as case studies. Look specifically at the time around Christ, just before the destruction. We have a really good chronicle of what Israel was like during that time. It's called the Gospels. And what do we see? Do we see factions among Israel? Do we see baseless hatred between the factions? Paul, for example, when he's hauled up before the Sanhedrin, looks at it and says, hmm, half of you all are Pharisees and half of you all are Sadducees. Well, the reason I'm here is because I believe in the resurrection. And all of a sudden, the Pharisees and the Sadducees started fighting, and Paul walks out the door. And it even gets so bad that God sends a prophet, his own son, and his own son says, guys, you need to come back to reality here. Oh, well, we'll just kill the son, and then the vineyard will be ours. 
and we have the crucifixion. This is what I'm calling baseless hatred. The rabbis call it baseless hatred too, although they don't mention the crucifixion. But the thing that they say is we just couldn't get along. And that's because different sects, different groups had a different view of reality. Each one of them was trying to roll his own reality. So you had the Sadducees and the Boethians. We don't believe in the resurrection. You had the Pharisees. Well, we believe in the Oral Torah, and Moses got most of it right, but we've got a bunch of other stuff that we've added to it, and that's what's really right. That's what's really, really, really real. And so you had different groups, each trying to define his own reality. And at the end of that process, they finally got to the point where they couldn't govern themselves anymore. And as I say, God whistles up the Romans and said, all right, everybody out of the pool. Let's do a hard reset. We have the same thing going on here today. I mean, if you walk up to this six foot four guy with a five o'clock shadow and you don't call him miss, all of a sudden you get this explosion of rage. And that's because what you have said is the thing that you think is real isn't real. There's no reality there. This is a fantasy of yours. Well, what do you mean I can't create my own reality? That's what we're dealing with. And we're dealing with baseless hatred based on the idea that not everybody buys into your personal reality. And we have gotten so fragmented that it has literally devolved into personal realities. I mean, at least with the Israelites, you had groups, you know, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the Boethians, the Way, etc., large groups of them. They were messed up and couldn't get along. But now it's every person has got his own reality. And they are just absolutely outraged if you don't acknowledge that their reality is real. And if you say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, you don't get to define reality. God is the one who defines reality. I mean, that's like throwing gasoline on them. And so that's where we are. Now, one of the things that we're seeing is the rise of anti-Semitism in the United States and in Europe. Anti-Semitism is once again rising. And we also have anti-Asian bias. And we also have anti-white bias going on right now. What do all those things have in common? All of those groups are successful. Asians are very successful people. Most Jews are pretty successful people. The place was set up by European whites who are pretty successful people. I've got to say that these people who have all of their own reality are typically not very successful. You have isolation, you have an epidemic of suicides, you have drug overdoses. All of that's epidemic. And that's all because people want their own reality. And what they do is they look upon a group that can be identified as a group that is successful. And what they say is, wait a minute, your success is taking away from me 
enjoying what I think I should have as a result of my own reality. That's what anti-Semitism is. It always has been. Jews are an identifiable group. They are typically fairly successful. And so what happens when the society becomes dysfunctional is it turns on those who are successful. That's what we have with Asians now. We have schools all over the country setting up their admission standards so Asians need not apply. And that's all a function of baseless hatred. And baseless hatred is based on a dysfunctional view of reality. Now, I'm going to read you a little piece of scripture here. 2 Timothy 3. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Yeshua will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Deceiving and being deceived. So the people who are trying to invent their own reality are trying to deceive you that this guy or this gal is something different than what he is or she is. They are trying to deceive you, but they themselves are also deceived. They are deceived because they don't acknowledge reality. Going down to verse 16 in the same letter. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction. That's the purpose of scripture. That's why God wrote it down for us is when things go off the rail like they are right now, you can go back to Scripture and you can see the case studies and you can see, all right, this is what happened as a result of what's going on here. And by the way, there's nothing new under the sun. We haven't invented anything new. We just sort of recycled the old stuff. Satan is not very original. He just keeps recycling. So the stuff that was pathological in Scripture is stuff that is pathological today, and it's the same stuff we're dealing with. Nothing new. Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be competent, competent, equipped for every good work. So the idea of Scripture is to make you useful in God's hand. You can be competent, which means that you can then go out and you can speak truth into this world of deception, lies, and alternate realities. And understand, nobody's going to appreciate it. <laughs> I'm not suggesting that you're going to be crowned with a laurel wreath and put up on a podium. And say, Look at this guy. He's telling the truth. No, it's not going to happen. But you've got to do it. Because letting people persist and reinforcing unreality is assisting them on their road to destruction. So if you say, oh, my, isn't that a cute tutu, Butch? What you're doing is you're contributing to his dysfunction, and that doesn't do him any good, it doesn't do you any good, and it doesn't do people watching any good. I'm not suggesting that you go out and pick fights, don't get me wrong. But I am very strongly suggesting that you hew to the truth. 
Because what they're trying to get you to do is speak lies and speak according to alternate realities. And what that will do is corrupt you. If you buy into and speak a lie, what it does is it stains you as well as not doing the person that you're lying with any good and certainly not doing bystanders any good. The hot thing right now in cities with drug problems, are there any cities that don't have drug problems? The hot thing right now in cities with drug problems is safe injection sites. There's no thought of separating the druggie from drugs, which is the thing that actually might help. What they're instead doing is they are facilitating. They are essentially encouraging. They are essentially building up this dysfunctional drug culture. And it's all, of course, done in the name of compassion. It isn't compassionate. It's not compassionate at all. Participating with somebody else in his own destruction is not compassionate. The truth is compassionate, but it's not something that someone who is in an alternate reality wants to hear. I'll say that one more time. Don't go out and pick fights, but go about your life and speak the truth. And don't participate in a lie. Shut